Let's turn now, as the Lord would help us, friends, to the portion we read, Daniel chapter 1. And we can take, just for a reference, verses 6 and 7. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. <clears throat> Coming to the close of this communion season, we must uh, prepare ourselves, friends, for whatever awaits us in the providence of God. And as you know, that providence can sometimes be so mysterious where the lot and portion of uh, the Lord's people are concerned. Uh, historically, in our church culture, a communion Monday was always considered to be an occasion of rather mixed feelings. Um, there was sadness, sadness at a prolonged time of fellowship coming to an end. There was joy at the rich blessing of God upon his word and upon the sacrament. And then there was resignation. Resignation at the thought of going back into the world with all its oppressions. And these mixed feelings, I think, to a degree at least, still prevail amongst ourselves. Only we must now add our own feelings, feelings that are unique to our day and to our generation, feelings that our fathers and our grandfathers did not experience. The world, our nation, the Christian church, all changed, my friends, and you don't need me to remind you of that, changed beyond all recognition, changed even during the last 20 years. Our, father, our forefathers would never have believed, never have believed that the United Kingdom would have a Hindu for a prime minister, that Scotland would have a Muslim for a first minister. They would never have believed that street preachers would be arrested in the United Kingdom for preaching the gospel. They would never have believed that citizens would be arrested for praying anywhere near an abortion clinic. They would never have believed that our education system would compel small children to learn adult themes. They would never have believed that our leading politicians here in Scotland, in Calvin, Scotland, would have a witch giving the spiritual message to the parliament as happened just three weeks ago. A professing 
full-blown witch. No, our forefathers, our fathers would never have believed the transformation. Even in the town of Stornoway, would our forefathers, our fathers have believed that the town of Stornoway would be flying unashamedly a flag representing the most obnoxious sin imaginable? No, they would never have believed it. But we have to believe it, my friends, because that is the reality in our day and in our generation. Now, I give you these examples not to be morbid or pessimistic at the close of a communion season. I simply want to bring home to you the kind of world and the kind of society into which we must now return. We are reminded by Peter, James and John when they enjoyed that astonishing and intimate fellowship with the Lord Jesus uh, up on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember what happened immediately afterwards. When they came down from a mount, they went headlong into a battle with the Prince of Darkness. <clears throat> there he was, refusing to let a child go, a child whom he had possessed. And the rest of the disciples had tried and tried and tried in vain to release that child from Satan's grasp, and they couldn't. That's what was facing them. And that's what perhaps robbed them to a certain degree of the blessing they received on the Mount of Transfiguration. For many years, we have been cocooned in these island communities of ours, my friends. We have been cocooned. God preserved all the nuances of our religious heritage, whilst many other parts in the United Kingdom and in Scotland returned to heathenism and paganism. But sadly, all of that is catching up with us now. The spiritual temperature of our island communities has dropped alarmingly over the past few years. And in that declining moral and religious environment, we must return to our daily lives tomorrow following our communion season. So let's consider the incredible story of this man, Daniel, and his friends, when they found themselves in a very hostile environment in Babylon. I want to look at two or three things in this story that might be of help to us. First of all, I want to look at the declining spiritual temperature in Jerusalem. 
We read in verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar and besieged the city of Jerusalem. One of the great tragedies in Jewish history is their dogmatic defiance of God. Dogmatic defiance of God. And at the same time, we have demonstrations of God's patience and tolerance and loving kindness and mercy and love shown to the same people. They had everything going for them. Everything going for them. They were the best taught people at that time on the face of the earth. You know when God uh, judged the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah, they could have pled the excuse of ignorance. They were ignorant people. They didn't have the word of God. They didn't have familiarity with the laws of God. But the Jews did. The Jews couldn't plead that kind of ignorance. They had, as it were, Moses and the prophets, did they not? Isn't that what the Lord pointed out in that parable of the rich man and Lazarus? When the rich man was trying to make excuses from hell, they have Moses and the prophets. They don't need somebody to be sent to them from the dead. And furthermore, they saw what God had done to their fellow Hebrews, the ten tribes up in Samaria. And because of how he judged them, the ten tribes, in his wrath, they no longer existed. They were gone. And the citizens of Jerusalem knew that. They saw that. Yet most of them, the citizens of Judah, that is, most of them insisted on flirting with the world and becoming more and more tolerant of false religions. Does that sound familiar to you? It should. That's been the scenario in the United Kingdom for quite some time now. We can't plead ignorance before God. Our nation has had the word of God for centuries. Our nation has had the gospel of the redeeming, redeeming grace since the Reformation, well, just shortly at the Reformation in parts of Scotland, but even in our island communities for a couple of hundred years. No, we cannot plead ignorance. Meanwhile, in Jerusalem, there was in the midst of that awful darkness a faithful remnant. A faithful remnant. And you know, my friends, God will always have his remnant. He had them in the Old Testament. He had them in the New Testament. And he's got them today. And he's got them in Scotland. And he's got them in Lewis. A faithful 
remnant of his people. And among the faithful remnant in Jerusalem were Daniel and his three friends. And I dare say there must have been quite a number of others as well, although they're not mentioned. However, when God's patience finally ran out with Jerusalem and with the Hebrews around Jerusalem, even the remnant had to bear with the judgment. God didn't set them aside. God didn't say to them, I'm going to judge the rest of the citizens, but you'll be okay. No, they had to bear the judgment with the rest of the citizens of Jerusalem. So they were taken with all the rest of them to Babylon. Now, although there is no detail for us recorded in regarding this, it's beyond question that the remnant, led no doubt by Daniel and his friends, that they warned, they must have warned their fellow citizens about an impending judgment if they continued in the path of disobedience and mocking God and God's words, God's word and God's law. We can insist on that. Although it's not recorded, we can insist on it. Why? Because that's what God's faithful people do. We have to warn our fellow citizens what will happen if we continue rejecting God in the way we've been doing so for a decade or two. Meanwhile, Nebuchadnezzar came, not so much as an invading army. I've read many articles that describe Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army as an invading army coming against uh, Jerusalem. No, it wasn't an invading army. It was an instrument of God's judgment. That's the capacity in which they came. They could never, ever have done what they did to Jerusalem and to the temple if God hadn't used them to that end as an instrument in his hand. And as that became ever more obvious to the citizens of Jerusalem, what were Daniel and his friends doing, do you think? As they use a biblical phrase, as they heard the sound of the hooves as far away as Dan. What was Daniel doing and his three friends? Oh, well, we could suggest many things. Surely they were praying for deliverance. Surely they were praying for the repentance of their fellow citizens. Surely they must have been praying for the defeat of Nebuchadnezzar and his army. Most of all, my friends, I would suggest to you that they would have been praying to remain faithful in the judgment. Praying for grace to remain faithful in the judgment. 
here we are, 2024. And we do admire God for his patience and for his tolerance in dealing with us as a nation and as a church, and using church in a generic term, the wider, broader Christian church. We could give numerous examples of the appalling conduct in the wider Christian church in the United Kingdom and in the Western world, for that matter. We could give numerous examples of the appalling conduct of our politicians and our parliaments. However, our interest here is in how Daniel and his friends conducted themselves whilst they were enduring this judgment. We want to learn lessons from that. Why is that important to us? Because we're in a similar situation, my friends. We're in a similar situation to these people who found themselves in Babylon. And I think we are grossly mistaken if we're thinking along those lines. Well, if this spiritual declension continues, God is going to judge us. We are already being judged, my friends. The judgment has come. The spiritual declension is part of our judgment. It's upon us. The sound of the hooves are no longer in far off Dan. They're here in Stornoway. And the rate of our spiritual decline, my friends, would not be possible otherwise. It's part of our judgment. And the spiritual deadness, the lack of gospel interest, empty pews, the growing sympathy, and there is growing sympathy for vulgar lifestyles. These are all indications, my friends, of our judgment by a holy and just God. So let me move, secondly, look at the amazing resilience of these men, in particular, Daniel and his friends. Weak leadership and an apostate king made it easy for Nebuchadnezzar to uh, conquer Jerusalem and destroy its temple. Daniel and his friends, on the other hand, were everything that their leaders were not. And that was soon recognized, even in Babylon. Now, this is very interesting, my friends, that even the enemies of God recognize something in Christians who are consistent and brave in their convictions regarding the issues they believe. The world notices. The world notices. It was worth remembering that regardless of the prevailing situation, when men and women, old and young, when you stand steadfast on biblical values and biblical principles, you will stand out. 
amongst your peers. Others may disagree with you and disagree with you violently, but nevertheless, they will acknowledge the courage of your convictions. So in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar planned on how to recalibrate the minds of his prisoners. How to recalibrate, how to give them a new mindset. You see, he didn't want them to think like Jews. He didn't want them to think like Jehovah's people. Just as our politicians and our social engineers, they don't want us to think like Bible-believing people. So Nebuchadnezzar instructed his lieutenant, verse 3, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel to the palace. But not any Tom, Dick, and Harry, you'll notice. Oh, no. Verse 3 again. Those of the king's seed and the princes. In other words, choose the best of them. Choose the most influential amongst them. And here's his thinking. If Nebuchadnezzar can win over the best of them, the rest will submit that much easier. So the chosen men, verse 4, skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding, science. All these people are readily recognized in the world. These are the type that others tend to listen to. Isn't that true? Those who are academically well qualified, those who are particularly exercised in scientific things. If you were to take a survey from John O'Groats to Land's End today, who would have the greatest following? The very best of Christian theologians, preachers, Teachers, take a pick. But David Attenborough, who's got the largest audience? Who do most people listen to? I think you know the answer to that question, my friends. So they chose these men who were, verse 4, skillful in all wisdom and cunning and in knowledge and understanding science. Now, to seal this evil plan, these men were to be re-educated. And verse 4, whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Did you notice that? This man, Nebuchadnezzar, was a frighteningly clever man. A man who knew his history. 
And in that history, he recognized that another evil king long, long ago was very successful with this program of re-education. His name was Pharaoh. And he raised a Jewish boy to be a prince in Egypt. His name was Moses. And Moses was so submerged in Egyptian philosophy that it took him 40 years to go out and visit the rest of the Hebrew people in slavery. We're told in Acts chapter 7, he was learned, this is Moses, this is the re-educated Moses, his mother tried her best, but she lost the battle in the end of the day. He was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and mighty in words and deeds. So Nebuchadnezzar said, verse 4, teach them the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So as Moses became useful to Pharaoh, so these men would become useful in Babylon. Then from among this exclusive bunch, Nebuchadnezzar went a step further. And he told them, choose, verse 6, choose Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Hazariah. Now we know, looking back on these things, this is all of God. We know that. But that's not why Nebuchadnezzar choose, chose those men. You see, from his perspective, these were men who would be crucial to his plan because he saw they stood out amongst their peers. They were men of conviction. But of course, Nebuchadnezzar also made the mistake of believing those convictions could be channeled into his way of thinking. You know, as we sit here this evening, this is what the Chinese government are doing tonight and have been doing for quite a some time to certain ethnic people in China. They took them out of their villages and their towns and their cities and their homes and brought them into concentration camps, for want of another way of putting it. And what's going on there? Oh, they're not exterminating them. No, no. They're re-educating them. And when they emerge from those camps, they will have forgotten everything about their communism, or at least the brand they understood of it. And they'll be thinking along the lines of Chinese communism. In a different way, my friends, although nowhere near as noticeable by others, that's precisely what is happening under your very nose and under mine in the United Kingdom in 2024. Although the methodology is different, the end result is going to be the same. Our society has been drawn away from Christian ways of thinking. And that's been achieved by very clever people who themselves are duped into believing that Christianity is a hindrance to progress. 
So our nation now believes that it must distance itself from Christianity, particularly the brand of Christianity that believes the Bible. So through our education system, schools, colleges, universities, through the mass media and entertainment world, they are slowly but surely re-educating our fellow citizens. And we see that more and more as the present generation are emerging, thinking in secular and godless ways. And when that happens, my friends, the checks and balances of Christianity, the checks and balances of the word of God are removed and the moral and ethical conduct of our nation plunges into darkness. Their success in this re-educating program of our nation is only too evident. Only too evident. Just go down the road any day of the week and you'll see that obnoxious flag flying, testifying to how successful they have been. That, my friends, is the world awaiting all of us as we come down from this Mount of Ordinance that we have enjoyed the last few days. Let me move on, finally, to look at standing steadfast in Babylon. Daniel and his friends were made subject to two subtle attempts to win them over to Nebuchadnezzar's philosophy and way of life. The first was trying to lure them away from their unique food laws, which were a particular mark of the Jewish Hebrew people. Through Moses, God commanded these people on what to eat and what not to eat, what was clean and what was unclean. It became known as kosher laws. So Nebuchadnezzar assumed that such things would now be unimportant to Jews living now in the secular environment of Babylon. They had far too many other things to worry about. So he lavished on Daniel and his friends the best of royal fare. Verse 5, a daily provision of the king's meat and wine. But what Nebuchadnezzar didn't understand was that true Jews didn't view the dietary laws as a preference. It wasn't a preference for them. There's a world of difference, my friends, between on the one hand what we prefer and on the other hand what we are commanded to do or not do by our God. A world of difference. So Daniel and his friends refused. They said they don't want the king's food. And instead, 
they replied to the lieutenant who was set over them, verse 12, Prove thy servant for ten days. Give us nothing but pulse. This is a mixture of beans and peas and vegetables. What we would call in Gaelic a brocha. Just give us pulse and water. Test us for ten days. And with God's blessing, they emerge from that test victorious. Verse 15. Their countenance was fairer and fatter than those eating the king's meat. So the first part of Nebuchadnezzar's plan failed. Meanwhile, the second part was put into action. He decided that he must change their names. Verse 7. He gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Mesach, and to Azariah, Abednego. This was designed, my friends, very, very deliberately to isolate them from their upbringing. Or as we would prefer to put it in our culture and our generation, to isolate them from their baptism and all that the baptism means. You see, there are names that were given to them in Jerusalem. All their names had reference to Jehovah God, inherent to the name. But the names that Nebuchadnezzar has now given them, or tried to give them, they had a reference to pagan deities right in the heart of each name. Both attempts failed, my friends, because these men remained faithful to their God. And not only did the attempt fail, but in the midst of it all, God blessed them in quite unexpected ways. Look at verse 17. God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. He gave to Daniel understanding in all visions and dreams and so on. So not only did the plan to brainwash them fail, the plan to isolate them from their Jewish upbringing all failed. They actually went on in God's good providence to excel in everything they did. Excelled in everything they did and also withstood the greater temptations that came later on in the story of Daniel. And I'm quite sure you're all familiar with that. Make no mistake, my friends. Make no mistake. This was never more applicable than it is in our day and in our generation. This is exactly what the world and society and our politicians and our social engineers, this is what they are demanding of us. That we eat all the vulgar food on their vulgar table. That we feed our children with moral and ethical poison. Is there any other way of describing what they are putting into our schools, 
describing what they're imposing on our generation in the name of entertainment. Poison and nothing but poison. And just as determined, the efforts made in our society to isolate our sons and our daughters from their religious inheritance. Students no longer have the benefit of what us oldies had to take us through the tender years of youth. No Bible in the school anymore. No catechism in the school or in the home for that matter anymore. No assemblies with any real meaningful content anymore. Science classes, which invariably set before them evolution, we didn't have any of that. Biology that reflects God's view on that subject, it's all gone. In the midst of it all, my friends, we who are adult Christians have a duty to bring all of this before our God in prayer that our children would be preserved in this evil day and that we would be responsible for preserving a heritage for, not just for our children, but for the generation yet unborn. So let's ensure, my friends, as we resume our lives following our communion season, that we stand steadfast on the things of God. And that by our lives, by our conduct, by our walk, by our talk, by the values we espouse, that people will recognize, as others recognize, some they have been with Jesus. Oh, gracious Lord, help us to lay a good, solid foundation for the children yet unborn. May we not be those who have sold our heritage, our religious heritage, for a pot of mess, pot of mess, a pot of whatever the phrase is in Jacob's story. So let's follow the example of Daniel and his friends. Loving all that God loves, hating all that God hates. And the best thanksgiving we could ever offer to our God at the end of this communion season is obedience to his word, love to his laws, and adoration for his beloved son, our Lord Jesus Christ, our prophet, our priest, our king, king of kings, lord of lords. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord, help us to indeed walk faithfully with thee as we come to the close of our communion season. 
as we face up to an increasingly hostile world, even in our local communities. Grant that we would not be afraid to name the name of Christ, that we would not be afraid to point out that which is wrong and that which is evil in the sight of God, not as a preferred uh, view that we hold ourselves, but that it is the teaching of Almighty God. It is the teaching of his word. And may we live and die in that conviction in our personal lives. Strengthen us, O Lord, in our faith. Lead us by thy spirit. Keep us in thy fear. For Jesus' sake. Amen.